Are you ready for some meatballs? Welcome to the Meatball Composer. Now, normally on this show, you'll get a uh, a heavy dose of football discussion, usually Chicago Bears football discussion, which makes for eh, some depressing discussion. (laughs) Uh, Or I'll talk about music, or maybe some pop culture discussion about uh, movies or TV shows. Well, not today. Today, you're going to get some culture on this show. I am uh, looking forward to sharing with you an interview I had with Dr. Ryan Stokes. Dr. Stokes is a professor at Carson Newman University. He's also uh, a theologian and an author. His book that uh, I want to discuss with him is called The Satan, How God's Executioner Became the Enemy. Yeah, that's right. Satan. The Satan. That will be the uh, the discussion topic of today's show. So why this? Why this topic on uh, my normally uh, benign sports show with music sprinkled in? Well, most of you who uh, listen know of my Protestant evangelical background, and quite honestly, the book just really appealed to that side of me, especially with uh, uh, a title that uh, suggested that hey, some of my uh, ideas or preconceived notions of Satan may not be accurate, may be uh, skewed somehow. So I was excited to read the book and even more excited to talk to him, Dr. Stokes, the author, about this book. So I hope you enjoy this interview. I hope you uh, don't mind the departure from the normal uh, topics of discussion, but I think it'll be fun. I think it'll be interesting and uh fascinating whether you have a religious background of any kind or not so thank you again for listening and here's my interview with dr ryan stokes could it be i am thrilled to have with me right now dr ryan stokes author of the book the satan how god's executioner became the enemy and uh, you can't see him because we're on Zoom, but I got to tell you, he's wearing a bright red sport coat uh, for this interview, which is pretty cool. So, Dr. Ryan Stokes, thanks so much for being here. Really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to this for some time. Well, I, I appreciate that because I I, uh, I look at you as someone who's like, wow, he's smart. And I'm, you know, I'm not. I'm a musician who likes football and <laughs> but uh so yeah i've been looking forward to this uh to uh for a long time in fact um you know this but i'll just say it for those listening i wanted to do this last year but then uh that uh pesky covid popped up and kind of you know threw everything into uh, uh, a frenzy there so i'm glad we're glad that we can finally get to do it now so you wrote this uh book about i think it was published in 2019 but right before we get to talking about it can you just give a little uh little quick bio or background of your um, um, education or all that all that fun stuff? Uh, sure. Uh, yeah, I grew up in Bowling Green, Kentucky, which is uh, pretty much between Nashville, Tennessee and Louisville, Kentucky. 
It's the town where Corvettes are built oh. in uh, the headquarters of Union Underwear, which is the, the company that owns Fruit of the Loop. <laughs> so those are mm. the reasons you might have visited uh, Bowling Green, Kentucky. Interesting. Uh, but I attended Western Kentucky University for my undergraduate work there, which is in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Uh, and from there, I uh, I majored. Well, what I tell tell students is that I, I bounced around into different majors, and I, I ended up with a double major in religion and political science and a minor in chemistry, uh, which pretty much qualifies me to be a terrorist. Uh, <laughs> but, but I pursued the, the, the more religious side of things and went to seminary. Uh, at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary in South Hamilton, Massachusetts. Uh, from there, I uh, went to Yale University, where I received a PhD in Old Testament and focused in, in on the Jewish literature that's sort of, uh, generally speaking, between the Old and New Testament. So it helps bridge the gap theologically and historically there uh, to some extent. And I've taught in various places since then, taught in Texas for a while and taught in Kentucky uh, for a bit. And I'm, I'm currently at uh, Carson Newman University, which is a... Uh, a liberal arts university in East Tennessee. Excellent. Now, this may sound really dumb, but is Bowling Green University in Bowling Green, Kentucky? That is not. I believe that's in Bowling Green, Ohio. Uh, oh. There are five or six Bowling Greens in the United States. See, is... Yeah. It was a dumb question. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll edit that You see the logic, right? You see where I could have gotten that idea. <laughs> yeah well cool thank you um so let's talk about the book the satan how god's executioner became the enemy now it was that uh, subtitle that when i when i read that that was like what i need to read this book <laughs> so um what what led you to write this book i mean that's quite a hook there so uh what what was it that uh, um got you interested in uh, in writing this topic about this topic and why you felt it was a, a necessary, um, necessary writing. Yeah, that, that's a good question. Uh, I, um, you know, why would anyone write a book on Satan? I guess this is a question <laughs> that you might ask. Uh, it began as my dissertation uh, at Yale, so I needed to do a research project in order to graduate. But, but uh, more than that, uh, I, I guess I observed in my studies of the Bible that Satan in the Bible is depicted differently from how he's typically conceived uh, in popular culture, and even in the church. He's different in the Bible, even from how Christians who read the Bible regularly uh, and are fairly knowledgeable of the Bible. So he's different even from what they uh, think yeah. that Satan is. And, and the other thing that I notice is not only is Satan in the Bible different from the way he's often conceived uh, currently, but Satan is described in different ways within the Bible itself. You have some passages who describe Satan that describe Satan one way and others that describe him another. And I became uh, really curious about that and wanted to learn more about it and wanted to help other people understand it a little better. Yeah, as I was reading it, I, uh, it came to my attention that uh, I've always had this idea or defined image of who Satan is and uh, you know, he was Lucifer, he was an angel and then he fell and then, you know, all. But I, in reading the book, I realized, oh my goodness, that's stuff that I've thought or been taught and I've sort of applied to uh, different texts on the Bible, you know, projecting that onto what the text, instead of uh, really what, uh, what is, is a historical progression, if you look through the text like you were 
pointing out. So can you can you walk us through the uh, kind of the evolution, so to speak, of Satan that we see in the Bible? And uh, you mentioned a minute ago some of those writings in between the Old and New Testament and how those impacted uh, later writings on Satan in the New Testament and going forward. Because to me, this this is really the the as I was reading it, like the, the, the crux of the whole book is let's look at historically what is said and go from there. Does that, does that make sense? Absolutely. And, and that's a, a well put question and, and uh, represents my approach uh, quite accurately. Uh, this book is not a theology book, so to speak. Yeah. I'm not asking who is Satan really, although I hope that my study contributes to that uh, sort of question and that enterprise of theologians and, and people of faith who, who want to ask that question. But this really is a history book, uh, a history of how thinking about Satan arose and then changed over time. What we have in the Bible in the Old and New Testament are uh, numerous texts written by different authors over the period of, of about a thousand years or more. Uh, and in these texts written by different people in different situations over over a large number of centuries, we're going to hear different ideas about different theological topics, one of which is Satan. And so what I did uh, is I ordered my book or my study chronologically and started with the earliest texts and, and went through to the latest texts, uh, the earliest texts being texts in the Old Testament and the latest texts that I studied at least were, were texts in the New Testament. Uh, I also threw in there uh, some texts that uh, are found in Jewish literature uh, that is not found in our Bible. And, yeah. and generally speaking, this, these books occur kind of between the Old and New Testament. Uh, and so if I'm doing a chronological historical study, those bridge the gap nicely between the Old and New Testament. And what I found that as well is that they bridge the gap theologically, meaning what we have in the, the Old Testament about Satan and what we have in the New Testament, that there are some differences. And, and how did we get yeah. from one conception of Satan to the other? And some of those answers can be found in that literature that was written in between those two periods. Yeah. Um, but uh, in, in short, what I found is in the very earliest text in the Old Testament that mentions Satan, he, he's essentially an officer of God. He's an employee of God who's been tasked with punishing the wicked. I think the word Satan itself can be translated as something like attacker or executioner. It's not a name, but a title. And Satan is the executioner, and he, he punishes wicked people. Uh, later on in the Old Testament, we come to the story of Job, which will be familiar to a lot of people. Yes. Uh, but, but in Job, we have sort of a development where you have, have Satan not causing problems for evildoers, but causing problems for someone who is righteous. Uh, and that's important for later tradition, obviously, if we're going to have Satan who, who's not just punishing people who deserve it, but causing trouble for the good guys as well. Uh, this is a pretty important development in that, that history of tradition. Uh, when we go to some of the literature between the, the two testaments, uh, what we see is Satan becomes a tempter. Uh, Satan teams up with evil spirits and begins leading people into sin. Uh, early on, he's leading kind of the bad guys, the, the Gentiles, if you're speaking from a Jewish perspective, leading them into sin. But eventually, uh, literature begins to describe Satan as someone who leads even the righteous into sin. He's out to tempt uh, God's people as well. Uh, Satan even becomes the leader of all the forces of evil, the evil spirits and, and the armies uh, against God's people and against the good angels. You have this idea that arises in the, the literature, uh, the early Jewish literature outside of the Bible as well. 
then when we come to the New Testament, we see that the New Testament authors, they were familiar with this concept of Satan. They weren't simply mm. reading the Old Testament, although they certainly read the Old Testament, uh, but they, they were familiar with these ideas that had developed since the time of the Old Testament as well. And so that's why in the New Testament, you see Satan leading the forces of evil against God and against the good angels and against the people of God and leading people into to all sorts of sins, even trying to tempt uh, Jesus, as a matter of fact. And that, so that's, a, uh, I guess, the, the short version of my yeah. book. You should definitely still buy the book because there's yes, a lot more should. in there than that. But <laughs> and, you know, I, I read it twice and I still had my mind, you know, just boom, <laughs> uh, blown away both times. And uh, uh, you can't see this on the podcast, but I'm showing Ryan my book. I've got the paper tabs and I highlighted and colored stuff because... This was just like super fascinating to me and eye-opening. Being someone who grew up in the uh, Protestant evangelical tradition where so much about who we talk about Satan, who he is, it was very different from <laughs> what I was reading in the book. I'll get to more of that in a second. But you brought up Job. I want to bring up Job specifically because what you wrote about Job really, more than anything else, I think, kind of rocked my world <laughs> and that's because the book of Job is um, so often looked at as a book that uh, can give hope or comfort to people who are going through struggles or pain or and looking for a why to that reason and in the book of Job we see okay we may not know the reason but we know that God is behind it and sometimes allows evil to happen and, and, and Satan has to ask permission to God before he can you know, do anything to us. So these things that we, or at least that I grew up with and assumed and um, helped have helped me in my faith. But then you, Mr. Dr. Stokes, <laughs> come around and suggest that the Satan portions in Job could possibly have been added later by uh, by an editor or something. And you can you convincingly do this. And again, I don't want to spoil too much and you should still buy the book. But you convincingly point this out by taking those couple verses out and showing that the narrative really doesn't change at all. In fact, it maybe even is more cohesive without those uh, portions. So can you um, can you talk about that a little bit? Like what what led you to thinking that maybe those were added and what sort of implications does that have on how we understand Job? And, and does that change how we should uh interpret it or how we can apply any kind of meaning to us can you just talk about that for a couple sure, of I'm really yeah, glad couple you this question oh um, good <laughs> it, uh, yeah it, this this is one of those uh issues that, that that it's a little different from the way people normally approach the bible and think about theological concepts in the bible uh and, and i i'm aware that some people may not be entirely comfortable with it yes. uh, but for me this isn't something that undermines uh, the usefulness of scripture, or, or I'm, I'm a Christian myself, and, and for mm -hmm. me, this doesn't undermine the authority uh, or the trustworthiness of the Bible. Uh, I mean, to put it very simply, I think that God can use multiple humans. He used multiple humans, we know, to write the Bible, and, and, and God can even use multiple humans to write individual books of the Bible. Uh, and, and that doesn't in any way uh, undermine the truthfulness of, of the teaching. Uh, of these texts and and so what you described is is what i say in my book that that there are certain verses in chapter one and chapter two of, of job uh that if they're not in the book the book act, actually uh reads 
in, a, in one sense, a little more coherently than it does with these verses included. And I, mm-hmm. and I suggest that there was an earlier story of Job where, where God tests Job by afflicting him. Uh, but there was no Satan in the story. But someone along uh, came along a little later and, and tried to, to further explain what was going on to Job by, by, uh, by explaining that there was a Satan figure who, who was involved in Job's test as well. Um, now, for me, uh, ultimately, it's the book of Job that we have now that is, is scripture. And so when I read it uh, for my own personal uh, devotion, for my own uh, theological study, I read the book of Job as we now have it, which includes the Satan material. So in that mm-hmm. sense, it doesn't really take anything out of the book of Job. One thing that perhaps uh, my analysis does is... Uh, is that it draws attention to some of the different ideas that we have in the book of Job. One of the things that I absolutely love about the book of Job is that as it addresses the incredibly difficult and complex problem of evil and why people suffer, why the righteous suffer in particular, it doesn't take a simplistic approach to this problem, yeah. uh, but, but addresses the problem with the complexity that this problem deserves and requires to, to address well. Uh, and so in Job, I think you find I, I count, generally speaking, about five different explanations for why uh, bad things happen to good people, uh, mm-hmm. so to speak. Uh, one of which is the explanation of Job's friends that that uh, people bring uh, suffering on themselves by their sin. And now Job's friends are wrong that that's the explanation for all suffering, but but they're also right that sometimes that's absolutely uh, what happens. And then you have Job's argument that God brings evil both on the righteous and the wicked. Uh, and that's absolutely true as well. And that's something that we as humans can benefit from hearing and, and not assuming that we've done wrong when we suffer, but but realizing that we can suffer uh, despite the fact that that we're doing our best to be faithful to God. Uh, then there, there's the explanation that, that you mentioned, this idea that God's ways are really mysterious, that humans <laughs> can't begin to comprehend God's power and God's wisdom. And although sometimes we may... Uh, subconsciously convince ourselves that we could run things better than God does, but uh, we're not really in a position uh, to evaluate the way God uh, runs the universe. Uh, another way that uh, the book of Job uh, responds to the problem of evil is, is by suggesting that there's a reward at the end of it. You know, Job gets back his possessions and has new kids and, and at the end of the story after he's been faithful. And so there's this reward for persevering faithfully uh, through suffering that, that Job uh, encourages its readers uh, to expect. And then the fifth explanation is, is the Satan explanation. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes when we suffer, it's because there's this uh, bad guy out there who's out to get us. And, and that's where uh, the Satan comes in. Um, although interestingly, uh, even when Satan causes problems for Job, he does so within God's sovereignty and has to get permission yeah. from God uh, to do that. So even that explanation isn't entirely uh, an explanation of saying there's this bad guy who's out of control, uh, but there is this enemy uh, of God's people uh, whom God allows uh, to cause problems at times. Yeah, so do you think that uh, if this was edited in later, uh, do you think that was done to try and um, uh, save face for God, <laughs> so to speak? Like, oh, we gotta, we, we can't say God was, we have to make, you know, make a bad guy here. Uh, in in an ancient way of thinking, I guess. But uh, yeah, so why do you think that was put in if it was? 
Yeah, the, the, the question of why is difficult to answer because sometimes we can see what ancient authors and editors have done, but we, we don't understand uh, necessarily the, their reasoning behind it. But we do have examples in ancient literature where they're, they're, they're taking these old stories and doing the best they can to, to get God off the hook for some things that, that seem in their minds to implicate God and, and, and problematic behavior. Uh, there's actually a, a book called Jubilees, uh, one of these books between the Old and New Testament, so to speak, uh, which talks about the, the binding of Isaac or Abraham's near sacrifice of yeah. Isaac in Genesis 22 when God commands Abraham to, to sacrifice his son. Now, God ultimately stops Abraham from doing this in the story, but, but some uh, ancient readers were troubled by this nonetheless. Uh, nonetheless. And so in the book of Jubilees, uh, you have Satan who comes to God and says, look, God, Abraham doesn't love you as much as he loves his son. If you tell him to sacrifice uh, Isaac, then you'll see whether whether Abraham really loves you. So someone has read the book of Job and they've read Genesis 22. And, right. and so they, they take their cue from the book of Job and try to, to get God off the hook in some way uh, in this, this book of Jubilees written in the second century BC. Uh, but it's difficult to know why. Uh, I, I think at least we can say that the person who, who contributed this, uh, these, these portions to the book of Job uh, wanted people to understand that there was, was, was this figure in the heavenly realm who was, uh, had this adversarial relationship to Job and has this sort of relationship to the righteous, uh, whereas God is, is on the side of the righteous, uh, even though God does allow this sort of thing to happen from time to time. Yeah, and I should point out that uh, uh, your book the, never addresses really the whys that I'm asking. Your book is really just laying out all the what's, like here are the, here are the details, here are the facts. And then um, I don't know if you intended this or not with the book, but all these questions of wait, well, why did this and why this then came out from uh, <laughs> from reading it, which made me want to, uh, you know, dig into uh, the topic a little further. So, I mean, that's, I guess that's a good thing to come out of your book. But uh, yeah, you're very uh, clear from the outset to say this is not a, a, a theological uh, a writing, but just a, more of a historical. So um, that why question came uh, from me as I was reading it. Um, and one last question I can ask you here, sort of another why related question. Uh, again, as I'm reading through the book and comparing it to my preconceived ideas and notions of Satan uh, that I've grown up with as a Christian, very different from what uh, you lay out in the book here. So how did we get to where we are now in how Satan is portrayed or believed to be or operate that, um, like, what, what shaped this understanding? And things like, you know, when you see Satan in pop culture, he's like, he's the ruler of hell, you know, like he's the, the yin to yang of, that, of God, you know, being, you know, like the equal, the opposite. So where did these things come from and how have they, uh, how have they flourished so differently from, if we look at the biblical text, we would see some very different things. So how, what, how do you think that all happened? <laughs> I, I can share with you my my basic understanding of this. Of course, there, there are historians yes. who specialize in the, the periods of history after the Bible or after the ancient period in which I specialize uh, who could give you a much better answer than I'm able to give you. But I can give you a very basic answer to that question. Uh, and, and here's what that is. Uh, just as I traced the, the development of thinking about Satan through the biblical period, this development continued beyond the biblical period mm. uh, on into later later times in antiquity through the middle ages and even into the modern period theologians and 
and other thinkers were considering uh, Satan and the problem of evil and the superhuman realm. Uh, and so thoughts continued to develop until they arrived at, at something like what we have today. Uh, very influential uh, in this, uh, in the 17th century was John Milton's Paradise Lost. Uh, especially, I believe you mentioned earlier, this idea of, of Satan's rebellion against God. Um, Satan being this most beautiful angel who, mm -hmm. who leads a revolt in heaven and before the earth is even created uh, against God and is defeated. Well, we do have a story of Satan's rebellion uh, in the Bible itself, in, in the book of Revelation, chapter 12. Uh, but that story is not so much about Satan's origin story yeah. uh, as it is about uh, Satan being defeated eschatologically by Christ's blood. Mm -hmm. uh, but later interpreters read this as a sort of origin story, and, and Milton seems to have done this as well. And, and, and so that's part of the modern uh, conception of Satan as well. Yeah. Interestingly, it occurred to me uh, as I was thinking about this question that uh, although my own book is supposed to to point people back to earlier beliefs, you know, the, the early history of right. of, uh, of Satan. In another sense, I suppose that uh, that my book as well is a recent contribution to you know, however modest, uh, but is a recent contribution to the history of thinking about Satan. So mm -hmm. as it moves forward. Somehow my book, uh, whatever little part it may be, uh, fits into that development of think thinking as we, we move forward. Absolutely. And I uh, will definitely uh, continue referring people to, uh, to check it out. Uh, and it, the, I see an irony here, too, in that from what you're saying, that our ideas from a group, a Christian group that claims so much about uh, oh, we rely on just the Bible, sola scriptura and all that. And hey, here's a pretty big area where maybe we have not been doing that really at all, but <laughs> relying on, you know, other historical uh, interpretations. So uh, that's, that's very interesting to me. So anyway, thank you so much, Dr. Stokes, for joining me. It was uh, good to talk to you. Good to see you. And uh, people can pick up your book on Amazon. Uh probably any bookstore they could order it from that that's probably the case and uh yeah i highly recommend you check out the satan how god's executioner became the enemy thanks again for joining me dr ryan stokes and i hope you stay healthy and rona free and get your vaccine and all that fun stuff as soon as possible <laughs> thanks so much this was fun you've been meatballed <laughs>
at uh, assumptions that we may have about beliefs. So uh, thank you, Dr. Stokes, for writing this book and giving us the opportunity to do that in this regard. Thank you again for listening. I promise uh, we'll get back to the meaningless football, baseball stuff again soon. And speaking of meaningless, I'll have Mark back on the show. (laughs) Just kidding, Mark. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, You know, actually, what would be fun is uh, with uh, Mark's background in archaeology and Ryan's uh, also in Old Testament and some archaeological stuff, that would be fun to have an interview with both at the same time. I wonder if they'd be willing to do that. I will follow up on that. Because, you know, I really dig archaeology. And I'm sorry. Thanks again. Take care. Until next time on the Meatball Composer. So let's get started fighting Satan right now. The mark of Satan is upon them. You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. I want to kill everyone. Satan is good. Satan is our pal. 